Pastor Bob's going to go ahead on something that's a, a little bit more serious, uh, being preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, anger and murder. <laughs> so. <laughs> anger and murder, just slightly more serious. <laughs> One thing you won't hear me say during this whole message is, on a lighter note... Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, guys, I'm so glad to be back. Um, it's been... Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, uh, it's been hard to be away from you guys. It's been hard to be away from this fledgling church that we're, that we're getting off the ground, and God has blessed us in so many ways. But it's difficult for a founding pastor to be able to step back and say, okay, I know we're only... We're only four months old, but I'm just going to disappear for two weeks and not be in communication with anybody. And, but here's what I know is that God is good. God has blessed this every step of the way. He has blessed our church. He has blessed us with an amazing staff, with amazing people. You guys, our family, are so faithful, and we have great teachers. And so I want to just shout out to Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Craig, who's over there with the kids for, for teaching while I was gone. I knew that there wouldn't be a drop-off in the, in the teaching. It's not like some churches, well, like, this is just a throwaway weekend. We'll just have them talk about something light and fluffy. They tackled topics that are not light and fluffy, uh, and they did a wonderful job. So I just want to thank them for being able to do that, uh, for giving me the opportunity to step away and knowing that, uh, that this church is not only in God's hands, but in good hands here. So thank you guys. Thank you for doing that. Uh, I want to give you a quick, on that note, a quick recap, kind of a sh- update-ish on, uh, on my trip to uh, the Himalayas and to Nepal. Um, here's the thing. Everybody's asking me like, so what happened? It was a cool and tell me about it. Tell me about it. I can't tell you much about it. I honestly can't tell you much about it from the pulpit. It's being recorded. It's going on the net. There are a million different ways for um, the wrong people to find out about some of the things that we did and the ministries that we partnered with there, Um, and it creates real issues for them. Uh, A year ago, a little over a year ago, the leader of the ministry that we partnered with there uh, was arrested off of the streets. He was arrested off the streets and threatened with four years in prison because somebody on a trip just like mine came home and posted on Facebook, hey, did great ministry there in the villages and, and posted just an innocent picture. Um, but they tracked those things. They tracked them electronically and they were able to say it was this ministry, it was this place, this village, tracked it to the ministry that was hosting um, and they arrested him off the streets, threatened him with four years of prison and the only reason they didn't is because they do such great humanitarian work. And they said, okay, we're, gonna, we're not going to put you in prison, we're not going to deport you, but stop it. Stop what you're doing. And, and so all of our pictures had to go through one central location so that they could, fil- not the government, uh, the ministry we were with, filter through the pictures, make sure there was nothing that could tie us back, nothing incriminating. Um, and in fact, about six months ago, the, the whole country of Nepal passed probably one of the most stringent anti-Christian it's not specifically anti-Christian, but in practice it is. Uh, laws anywhere in the world, more so even than, than China and North Korea in many cases. And the law simply says this, it's illegal to offend anyone's religious sensibilities. You think Christians are persecuted here. You think we're made fun of 
and you think that, that the media is against us and things like this, it is nothing like what happens in the rest of the world. We have freedoms that are, that are unlike anything that anyone else in the world has, really. The way that that law is worded, we were told if you, if you bring a Bible with you, Make sure you always set it face down. If you're reading it somewhere, set it face down so nobody is offended by the fact that you're reading the Bible. Um, You can't just openly, randomly share Jesus with people. If you did that with the wrong person, you would get, as an American here, what would happen is that they would immediately arrest us, and they would take us to the airport and put us on an airplane and say, bye-bye. And then the ministry, of course, that we partnered with would be would be in a lot of trouble, and potentially they'd be kicked out of the country as well and have to stop the amazing work that they're doing. So I can't tell you an awful lot about it from the pulpit here. One-on-one, I'll be able to have conversations and tell you a little bit about it, but I will tell you this. It was a matter of faith for me. It was a matter of faith for me to know that even though, and I'll be honest with you, the entire time I was there, I didn't share Jesus with anyone. I didn't share Jesus with anyone. We talked about it in our group. We prayed as a group, but we all knew Jesus already anyway. So uh, there were times when I'm at the end of a 20-mile trek and my feet hurt and my back hurts and I'm looking up a hill going, why am I here? I just want to go home. (laughs) That I couldn't go, okay, but I just shared Jesus in that village and I'm going to share it in the next village and and how cool is this going to be and I just can't wait. And you get energy from those sorts of things. I didn't have that. So what I had to do is I had to trust that God was going to take my faithfulness in going there and every little thing that we did and our mere presence, that he was going to take those things and he was going to use them for his purposes. Did I see fruit from it? No. Do I know there's fruit from it? Yes. I absolutely know that there's going to be fruit from it. And it may be today, it may be next week, next year. Who knows what the effect is? But here's what I know. Mile 19 of one of our longest, most arduous days, I'm having these thoughts in my head, and the enemy's lying to me, saying, why are you here? You did all this thing, and sure, the Himalayas are beautiful, and the scenery is amazing, and the trekking part of it was incredible, but the ministry part, why are you here? And I'm thinking this to myself, and at the very moment that those thoughts were starting to take hold in my head, here's what the Lord told me. He said, that village that you just passed through, the one that you didn't open your mouth But you prayed over everyone that you walked through. You prayed healing on a couple people who have no idea that you did it. He said, that's the very first time the people in that village were lifted up in my son's name. And it just brought a smile to my face. Seeing my heavenly father is his children in that village that don't know him. For the very first time were lifted up in his name. And so that's why we went That's why we went. And so sometimes it does take faith because you don't see fruit from it and you don't have the big aha moment that you can point to and say, this was so cool, let me tell you. Sometimes you can't even hardly talk about it at all. But we have this confidence that we know that if we act in faith on what God tells us to do and we go where he leads us and we do the things that he puts in our path and we're just merely his vessels, we don't have to be the one to see the change or to make things happen. We just have to do our own little part. And whether we see it or not, we have this confidence that he's going to use it for his purposes. And he's going to take that to completion. So 
Thank you, Lord, for using us and for using our team. I want to thank you guys for the prayers that I know were coming our way. Um, there were several times um, some of our team was suffering from severe dehydration, uh, at the very least exhaustion and different things that we went through, but we could feel your prayers. We knew that you guys were with us, and it meant so much. So thank you. Thank you for your support and for your prayers. And, and God's will was done. I have every confidence in that. So anyway, thank you. That's, that's my update. If you guys, if anybody wants any more information or wants to chat anymore, just grab me afterwards. I can tell you face-to-face, I can tell you everything that you, that you want to know, um, at least everything that we have time for in that amount of time, right? So, okay, we better get to the message. Uh, we're going to continue in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, okay? Matthew 5, uh, strictly, it just starts out this, verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he began to teach. That's where we are. The best sermon, the best single bit of wisdom ever given in a single setting is the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to dissect that as we go through. We've been going through week by week, and here we are on my week, and we're going to talk about anger and murder. Okay. So here we go. Roll up my sleeves. And I'm ready to go for this. Matthew 5, the verse we're going to use, Matthew 5, 21 to 26. Let's start out. Okay, on the screen up here, we've got Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. All right, show of hands, who's doing well with that commandment? Okay, I need more hands than that. Thou shalt not murder. Okay, right? All right, here, high five. You struggling with that? High five your name. Okay, no struggles? No struggles? You guys are doing good? Is there anybody that's struggling with that? High five your neighbor. Congratulate yourselves. You're doing well with thou shalt not murder. All right. Thank you, guys. It's been great. Enjoy your Sunday afternoon. We don't have anything else to learn, right? The commandment says, thou shalt not murder. We're all doing pretty good. I say pretty good to qualify that with that one. What else is there to talk about? There's more. There's another verse. In fact, there's several more verses that really complicate things and really muddy the waters. Let's go into it. Matthew 5, 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, some translations use the word raka in there. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. All right, let's stop there. Now who's doing good? High five. That's harder. So how do I teach a message on this without it feeling condemning? Because thou shalt not murder. It's easy to feel good about ourselves, right? Like, hey, I'm nailing that. (laughs) But anger, calling people a fool, good for nothing, that's hard. That's hard. I can tell you I struggled with that on the way here today. I'm just being honest. And then 5, Matthew 5, 23. Let's go on and read the rest of it. Therefore, 
If you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Why do you think Jesus took, so referring back to Exodus, Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, seems pretty clear cut. Why do you think Jesus felt the need to include a whole section on that in his Sermon on the Mount? Why do you think thou shalt not murder was not clear enough? Because, you know, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. Meaning, if you look at the, if the wording of that, that the law in itself is great, but it leaves a lot of gaps. Leaves a lot of loopholes, if you will, on what really does that mean. If we take the strictest sense of murder, taking someone's life, okay, that's one thing. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. And Jesus recognizes that freedom in the spirit, the freedom that we get through Christ and his sacrifice and through the Holy Spirit, freedom to make our own decisions is so much harder than following the law. It's harder than the law. People think that the law, the Old Testament law, is so restrictive. Oh my gosh, it's just a big, giant book of laws. But how many times have you heard someone say, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Just tell me what to think and I'll do it. It's so much easier when it's in black and white. Thou shalt not X. But what about when it's, I want you to seek the Holy Spirit. What's the Spirit telling you about this? How has the Spirit convicted your heart? Now you've got work to do. Now you need to make a decision. Am I going to just operate in the flesh and do what feels right? Or am I going to seek the Holy Spirit in his direction? That's so much harder than following thou shalt not. I'd be willing to bet most of us do pretty well with all the thou shalt nots. But when it comes to this, it gets a little bit harder. Jesus is teaching about the intent of the law here, not the letter. Because the letter of the law is cut and dried, but life is not cut and dried. Jesus knows that, and that's what he's teaching. What's in your heart is so much more important than your outward actions. I'm going to say that again. What's in your heart is so much more important than your outward actions. You can say and display and act all the outward righteousness that you want, but if there's darkness in your heart, it's going to lead to death for you and the people around you. Jesus knows this, and this is why he's teaching this. So let's unpack this, this entire scripture here, and I'll show you what I mean. So let's go one by one. Matthew 5, 21. Let's get that back up there if we can. You have, been told, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Okay, this goes back to Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. I've, I've explained before, but I'll do it again. Where it's capitalized there, at least this is the New American Standard version that I like to study from, you shall not commit murder. All those caps mean that refers back to Old Testament scripture. 
Okay, so Jesus is quoting Old Testament scripture when it says that. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. So referring back to Exodus 20 where it talks about just again, thou shalt not murder. But in the very next chapter, Exodus 21... Now, this is the Lord laying out these commandments to Moses, right? But in chapter 21, he actually goes further, and he's explaining, the Lord is explaining to Moses, all right, here's how I want you to interpret the penalties for these sorts of things. So even thou shalt not murder, he's breaking it down a little bit. So he's saying, okay, now, if someone had, I'll actually read it to you so I'm not paraphrasing. Exodus 21, 12 He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Meaning if by your hand you kill someone, you shall be put to death. The the penalty is death, literal death. But then he goes on and he says, that's that's premeditated. Okay, that's you've done this intentionally. Next one, Exodus 21, 13. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint to you a place which he may flee. It's dealing with the heart. Premeditation versus something that just happens. Okay? In other words, unplanned by man, but allowed by God. There's still a penalty, there's still a price to be paid, but it's exile. You'll find a place to go. He's not saying it's okay to murder anybody ever. He's saying the penalties are different. Premeditated, what's in your heart? Have you made a plan and have you gone and done this thing? It's what's in our heart that matters so much. Unrepentant sin. I know this is wrong. I'm going to do it anyway. That's such a big difference in the kingdom of God. From the very beginning, God was concerned with our intent. And he actually even laid out in the book of law, if there's intent or there's not intent. God was very concerned with those things. But the problem is, without the Holy Spirit in us, okay, so back in that day when the law was being given to them, they didn't have the Holy Spirit to go to. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in them who could testify about right or wrong. So essentially, all they had was the law. All they had to do was just grab onto the law and be taught the law and memorize the law and have that law just hammered into their heads over and over again. In fact, a great illustration of this happens much later. It's in the New Testament in the book of Galatians, chapter 3. It says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that, we have, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Basically telling us the law was there to protect us, to try and keep us on the right path. But Jesus had to come and fill in all the gaps. All those things that allow wiggle room, if you will. Thou shalt not murder. Okay, I didn't murder, I just maimed a little bit. I just verbally abused somebody. That's not murder, so I'm good, right? Jesus had to come and explain that to us. Next verse, Matthew 5, 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing. Again, that's that one that's translated typically as as the word raka, but it, it means you good for nothing. Shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. 
And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. There's a lot there. There's a lot in that verse right here. First of all, it's talking about anger. It's talking about hatred, pride. Because what could cause you to point at another child of God and say, you're good for nothing? You're a fool. What could cause you to have those kinds of feelings about someone else who is a child of God, his perfect creation, other than a spirit of pride, a spirit of anger? That's what he's talking about. When you verbally abuse somebody in that way, you're basically saying that you're not worthy. You're looking at somebody that God has created and put on this earth that he foredestined a plan for. That he has something for them. They are every bit as special on this earth as you are. And you're saying, I don't agree. It causes death in our hearts to look at a brother or sister like that. The term raka seems like not a really big thing. Again, you good for nothing is kind of how it is. If we use that term, it's a term of contempt. It was back in the day. And now when we say you good for nothing, again, you're saying God destined you for something. God had a plan for you, but in my mind, you're good for nothing. You're disagreeing with the perfection of God's creation. You're belittling what he has done. And can you imagine how it grieves a father's heart? If a father that was so pleased with the fact that I just simply silently prayed over people who had never been lifted up in his name before. How much more so a child that acknowledges him as their God, acknowledges Jesus as her Lord and Savior, and you're saying, I know know what the Bible says, but I don't agree in your case. You're good for nothing. Next one, you fool. Where it says you fool down there, that's accurately translated, you fool. And it's accurately translated because it refers back actually to one of the Psalms. It was a, it was a term of, of derision that people would use back then. And remember, Matthew was written to primarily a Jewish audience. Okay, the disciples and other Jews that came around. And so they would have recognized what Jesus was saying when he said you fool. And what it does is it actually refers back to Psalm 14.1. I think we have that, Psalm 14.1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. That's David writing that about a fool. So we throw around that term. I know I do. I throw around that term pretty lightly. But what that means is godless. I'm not going to use that term anymore. Because that's a bigger deal. Words have meaning. The words that we speak over people are life and death. Whether we speak them over ourselves. Okay, I know plenty of people who say, I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. And they just throw these things out. That's not what God says. That's not what God says about any of his children. And so if God doesn't say that about his children, I'm not going to say it either. And then the last part of there, the fiery hell. 
Okay, Jesus is referring here to a place that actually existed at that time that became kind of the model of what we look at as a fiery hell. It's actually a place that exists. It's southwest of Jerusalem. It's called the Hinnom Valley, uh, or, or Gehenna they call it. It's actually the, the common name for it back in the time was the Valley of Slaughter. And it actually goes all the way back to worshipers of Baal who would sacrifice children in this particular area. So there were generations of children and adults and animals who were slaughtered in this particular area, the Valley of Slaughter. And it had actually, over time, over the centuries, had become a garbage dump. And so they would put the garbage there and they would light it on fire. And so this was a a perpetually on fire, 24-7, every single day, garbage dump that was burning. So there'd be animals in there, there'd be... I don't think at this time there was still human sacrifice going on there, but there had been historically. That's what it was. But it was a flaming pit of stinky garbage dump. And he's saying that if you say these things to people, you should be thrown in there because that's where you belong. I don't know about you, but that struck me. To have those kinds of thoughts... Anger, hatred, you good for nothing, you so-and-so, fill in the blank, whatever your favorite term is, a term of derision about somebody else. To have those kinds of thoughts about a fellow child of God is to deny God's perfection in his creation. You're saying, nice try, God, but you missed it with this one. I'm better than them. How about those times you're driving down the highway and there's somebody going slow in front of you and you're like, get out of the way. Why are you going 50 in the fast lane? I have somewhere to be that I'm certain is more important than where you're going because I'm very much more important than you. I don't even know you, but I know I'm more important than you. I know the fact that I need to get home in time to catch my TV show or I need to get to the store in time because I've got quite a to-do list today. Get out of my way. That's a spirit of pride at work in you. And I don't mean that to condemn. I mean that to open your eyes. When you have thoughts like that for any reason, you could be in the line at the grocery store and the woman in front of you has 18 items in the 14 item, Okay? And you're thinking, look at all these other lanes. I've got three items. Do you think that matters to our Father? Do you think He's in heaven looking down, going, yeah, she's right. Get over to the regular lane. She only has three items. Didn't you read my commandments? I know there's one in there about the about the quick lane. I know there is. There has to be. I haven't studied it, but. When we say that, there's nothing but a spirit of pride that's causing that. And a spirit of pride is deadly in us. A spirit of pride in all of its manifestations is deadly. It causes darkness in our heart. It causes separation from our Father in heaven. It causes us to doubt his creation. And if we doubt his creation in all of its forms, how can we possibly then even trust that he did it right with us? Because if you think there's no one that matches up to how good you are, eventually the enemy's going to start saying, yeah, but you got problems too. And maybe you're not worthy of all this stuff that God promises either. 
The enemy can use that in so many different ways when we open that door to the spirits of pride, of hatred, of anger. Make no mistake that hatred, pride, anger, and so many others are spirits. And if they're spirits, a little quiz, if they're spirits, but they don't come from God, where do they come from? Come from the devil. And a spirit from God we know is good. A spirit from the devil, what's another name for a spirit from the devil? A demon. Anger, pride, hatred are demon spirits that we open a door to when we choose to partner with them. When we say, I know it's wrong to hate this person, but you don't know what they did to me. What you're saying is, I know it's wrong, I'm going to do it anyway. You're opening your door and saying, come on in, demon spirit of hatred. Welcome. Nobody says that out loud, but that's what you're doing in the kingdom. I'm doing a lot of pointing. I don't mean to be condemning. I don't mean to be condemning on this. And this can be a message that's like that. I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you to understand the severity of opening a door to a spirit like that. We have a ministry called Sozo Deliverance Ministry that all we do is we identify open doors and we close doors. Because we have authority over the demonic. We have authority over all of the schemes of the enemy. The word says so. And when we take that authority, closing those doors that we've opened maybe over a lifetime is just as easy as kicking the enemy out, slamming that door and saying, not today, devil. Not ever again. But we have to make that decision. We have to be the ones to make that decision. No one can do it for us. So the very last verse here, Matthew 5, 23, 24, actually the last, last two of them. 23 and 24 says this, Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Now remember, this is a Jewish audience that Jesus is speaking to. This would have been unheard of at the time. You've gone to the temple You've prepared your offering. We've talked about that in the past, how carefully chosen these offerings could be. It wasn't just like, hey, I've got this laying around. It was, a, it was a process to get a proper offering. You go to the temple. You have an appointed time. You go. You're in there. You're standing before the priest, and you're going to make your offering, and you leave? That was unheard of. They would have heard this and went, whoa, nobody gets that far and then just leaves. Jesus is saying, the Lord doesn't want your offering if it's not done with a pure heart. No amount of sacrifice that you can make is going to make up for a dark heart. Jesus is saying, if your heart's not in the right place, get it there. And that's his priority. It's got nothing to do with justice. It's got nothing to do with going and, and making sure that, that if you're in the right, that they acknowledge, or if they're in the right, that you acknowledge. It's an apology. It doesn't have to do with justice. 
It has to do with heart. Half of it, your heart. Because if you think you've been wronged, or you think you have wronged someone, it is incumbent upon us to go and make it right. But also here, Jesus is saying, don't give them, your brother and sister, don't give them a reason to harbor hardness in their heart towards you. See, when we have a problem with someone, it's not all about us. By going and apologizing and making it right with someone, whatever it is, allows them to step away from an opportunity to sin before the Lord by holding on to unforgiveness. It helps them to clear their heart of hardness they may be holding against you. And maybe they don't, a lot of times when we do this and we go and we reconcile, they don't even remember. They're like, oh, yeah, I hadn't even been thinking about that. But that removes an opportunity for the devil to use it against them, to keep them separated, and to keep you separated from the Lord. At the very least, it's another Christian brother or sister that we ought to be close, we ought to be a part of the same family, and the devil has used sometimes the most minute little thing to drive a wedge. Don't give your brother a reason to sin. See, God is much more pleased with repentance than sacrifice. He wants repentance and reconciliation. He doesn't need your sacrifice. What he does is he needs your heart. And when we repent and we reconcile, then we are fighting against the schemes of the enemy that want to separate us from God. Last one, Matthew 5, 25, 26. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown in prison. Truly I say to you that you will not come out of there until you have paid the last cent. See, in this case, they're talking about going before a judge. Judges apply law. Judges don't apply grace. Judges are there to dispense law and justice. And once they do that, the consequences of that law must be served. Whatever they are. Once law is dispensed, consequences have to be served. See, Christ died to save us from the consequences. Christ gave himself to give us an opportunity to step away from the consequences of death that we, in many cases, so richly deserve. He took that upon himself. So knowing that Christ died to give us an alternative to the consequences of the law, the consequences of our flesh, knowing that that's what he gave himself for, why would we put ourselves in a place of allowing judgment either from somebody else or in our own hearts. Don't put yourself in a place because once judgment happens, the power of repentance is rendered powerless. See, when we come to our Lord in whatever it is, if we repent of our sin before him, he says, you've already been washed clean in my eyes. You are clean. I don't even see the sin that you're talking about. 
That's when we come to him with a repentant heart. But once the law comes in, the power of that repentance is minimized. So you want the power of going before the Lord and repenting? You want the power of repenting before a fellow brother or sister in Christ and making it right and the things that that can do to lift up your heart and to encourage your heart. You want that? Don't let it get to a place of judgment. It's not about right or wrong, and it's not about getting, um, getting your way or what you have coming to you. See, again, as soon as we start thinking, well, I have this coming to, to me, it's about justice for me, then what you're saying is, I'm going to allow someone else to judge. I'm going to let someone else to be the judge. And it takes that out of our hands. So as I wrap this up, I want to go ahead and invite the worship team. They can start coming up. I just want to point this out here, guys. The inward expression of who Jesus is in our hearts is so much more important than any outward expression of devotion. What's in your heart, what Jesus does in your heart, is so much more important than any outward act of righteousness or devotion that we can do. No amount of sacrifice, no amount of how many times you go to church, or how long you stay there, or I took this class, this Bible study, I did this, and look how thick my Bible is. None of those things make up for darkness in your heart. The wonderful thing about this, though, is that darkness in your heart does not have to stay there for one second longer than we want it to. We get to make that decision. Am I going to allow that darkness in my heart to just sit there and fester and create problems in my life? And I have this illusion that I can segregate that. I can put the darkness over here, and then I'll have this other face that I put on when I go to church. But I'm going to hang on to this because it protects me. It protects me from being hurt again. It protects me from being wronged. But I'll just hold that over here and keep it at bay, and I'll go to church, and I'll put on my righteous face. That's not what the Lord wants. And he has given us the way. He has given us authority over anything the devil can throw at us. And it starts in your heart. Listen to this, Proverbs 4.23. It's the last one I've got for your screen. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Some translations say guard your heart. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Everything flows from our heart. In other words, it's not who we pretend to be that matters to God. It's who we decide we're going to be. Church, who have you decided that you're going to be? Jesus gives us the way. We can partner with the spirits of the enemy and we can say, it's okay, I'll hang on to that. Or we can say, no. The only spirit I want is the Holy Spirit of God working in me. And nothing else has a place. Nothing else has a place. We have a merciful God who all he asks is our repentance. If we repent of any sin, he no longer sees it. He doesn't keep a record. He doesn't say, yeah, but man, you've you got quite a list right here. He doesn't say that. 
And he has given us authority through his son Jesus to withstand everything the enemy can throw at us. The Bible's full of scripture. Jesus teaches on and on and gone about our authority over the demonic realm. Resist the devil and he will flee. Doesn't say, okay, you have to get a pastor and you have to have a special prayer night and you have to sit around and you have to pray for two hours and you have to do this. And it's a process. Resist. Which can be as simple as saying, not today. Also, a scripture that God reminded me of last night. It's actually one of my favorites. Jesus saying, I have given you authority over snakes and scorpions to overcome all of the schemes of the enemy. Nothing can harm you. Over and over and over again, Jesus says, I've given you authority. You don't need anyone else's. I've given it to you. And so, church, here's what we're going to do as we wrap up this message. We're going to go into a time of communion, a celebration of what Jesus did for us. We will do that. We've got the crosses. We can serve yourself. Uh, Gabe and I will be up front here serving wine and bread. We can do that. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you to examine your heart. Better than that, I'm going to ask you to seek God's word on what's in your heart. And I'm going to lead you through it. I told you about our deliverance ministry, our sozo ministry. One of the things that we simply do, and my job when we do that, is not to tell you what's in your heart. It's to lead you to ask the right questions, to pray the right prayers to the Father God who will gladly show you the things that are happening in your heart. Then we repent, then we cast out those spirits, and we are free. It's not a process. The Bible doesn't ever show a time when Jesus is casting out a demon and he says, come back next Tuesday and we'll finish this. When Jesus says, be gone, it's done. And he gave you that very authority. When you say, that spirit, I don't want it in my life. I'm not going to allow it in my life. It's done. And so that's what we're going to do here. And I'm going to pray over you. And so the response is this. I'm going to pray over you. I want you to say those prayers along with me. You're not parroting the words I'm saying. You're lifting your words up to the Father. Okay? And this is optional. But here's what I want for you. You do that. You let him show you where these spirits are. You show, let him show you these things that we need to deal with. Then we will say a short prayer of repentance, which will solidify the work that Jesus has already done. And then you can feel free to move around and take communion. You can stay there in your seats and you can let God minister to you. If the Lord is speaking to you, there's nothing I could say that even would approach the effectiveness of Father God speaking directly to you. So if that's happening, I just want you to sit in your chair and just enjoy it and just soak it in. We have our prayer partners in the back. If you need somebody to pray with you about this or to help you through the prayers, they are there for you. But let's use this as a time of letting the Lord show us those things. So if you would, just pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you, first of all, that you sent your son, Jesus, to reconcile us to you. And Father, we repent of the things that we have done willfully to separate ourselves from you. But Lord, we now, we call upon your spirit to speak to us. Where we are right now, sitting here in our chairs, Lord God, we would, we need your healing. We need your cleansing. 
And we need you to show us, Lord, what have we been harboring in our hearts that doesn't belong there? So, Father God, show us. Do we have a spirit of anger or a spirit of hatred or a spirit of pride that's at work in our lives right now? Have we allowed a spirit of anger or pride or hatred into our lives? Show us, Father God. And so our response to what the Father is showing you right now, maybe he didn't show you anything, but whatever he pinpointed in your heart, we need to cancel that spirit. Again, anger, pride, hatred, those things are spirits. They are demon spirits. Take authority over them and let's kick them out of our living rooms. The way we do that is with a prayer of repentance. You can repeat this prayer. You can repeat it out loud or you can say it inside. Father God, I repent of partnering with any spirit that is not of you. I repent of believing the lie that somehow I can control this spirit and it's not really causing a problem. And so I'll just hang on to it. I repent of any ungodly thoughts towards a spirit that I am partnering with in my life. And Father, I want more of you. So Lord, I hereby cancel the authority of any spirit that I have allowed into my life by the authority and the name of Jesus Christ and by his power alone, we cancel the effects of the enemy in our lives and in our hearts and in our families and in our homes right now by the name of Jesus. And Lord, we accept the truth that we are perfectly, fearfully, and wonderfully made. There is nothing that we are lacking to accomplish the purpose that you have for us. So Lord, give us a greater revelation of who we are to you. Give us a greater revelation of how you feel about us. Not what the earth says we are, not what other people say we are, not even our own flawed beliefs. Lord, what do you say about us? Because that's the truth that we want to take away. And we pray for an infilling of the Holy Spirit in all those places where any demon spirit used to reside. We call for an infilling of the Holy Spirit that would leave no room for anything that is not of you, God. Lord, we want more of you. We want all of you. Fill us, Lord. And we seal these truths and we seal this deliverance and this authority over the enemy by the only name by which it can happen. Out of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you want to stay in your seats and just soak that in, please do that. If you would like to move around and start celebrating communion, you can do that with us. And whenever you are ready, you can stand and worship with us. Thank you, guys.
no point of reference You spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light And as you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born In the vapor of your breath Stars were made to worship, so will I I can see your heart in everything you've made Every burning star, a signal fire of grace If creation sings your praises, so will I
Please tell my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to As you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart. Everything you've done Every part designed in a work of art called love If you gladly chose surrender so for what you've done for us. As we go into this week, we just ask that you would bless us, that you would shine your face upon us, that you be gracious to us, give us your peace. I bless you as you go. Feel free to stay and linger in his presence and soak it in. But as you go, just, just uh, connect in the foyer and continue those conversations you started earlier. We bless you. were made to worship so will I if the mountains bow in reverence so will I if the oceans roar your grave so will I 